0: Hey friends, Pastor Brooks here. I just want to thank you for checking out this podcast and to acknowledge that this teaching was created in collaboration with Practicing the Way and John Mark Comer. They are doing great work to provide discipleship resources for the church, and so we give them our gratitude and encourage you to check them out at practicingtheway.org. For now, enjoy the podcast.
1: Please remain standing and some of me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 15 to 24. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of
0: death? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to your house this morning. And as we hear your word, Lord, we would just pray that you would clear our minds, and open our hearts to receive your message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, As you can see, I'm Andy, and not Brooks, because Brooks and Amanda are away right now. Um, So uh, I'll be reading his transcript this morning. Are we ready? All right, let's go. (laughs) I struggled, I suffered, so that you wouldn't have to, so that you could lead a comfortable life. To many of us, especially in a predominantly second, please be seated. (laughs) My bad. For many of us in a predominantly second and third generation Asian American community, this is a familiar line, a familiar script that we have been taught and rehearsed since childhood. For many of us, our parents' goal, which I do believe comes out of a place of love most of the time, is for us to lead a comfortable life when we're older. But if we aren't simply complying without question, many of us spend our lives wrestling with this script, asking questions like, is this really my purpose? Is this, the br- is this the blueprint for a complete, deep, and fulfilling life? Is this really my dream? And my hope is that we do ask these questions. Is comfort leading a comfortable life really it? But while some of us have rejected this script for one reason or another, the reality is that we are more than stuck in it more stuck in the race for comfort than you think. It isn't just because of our cultural origins mixed with elements of the American dream. We're indoctrinated from an early age, and throughout our existence, the comfort is the goal of life. Think of all the things that are meant to make our lives more comfortable, from clothes, yoga pants, nuggies, wore sweats, to gadgets. The things that are meant to make our lives more convenient, and the things that are meant to make entertainment and a pleasure more easily and immediately attainable and consumable. And yet, Jesus states very clearly, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So we grow up with the idea that once we soldier through school, press on in the early years in the workforce, climb the ladder, comfort is the reward on the other side of the hill. But when we come face to face with reality, we know that it's not usually that simple. More and more, we find that life is, at times, really hard. And Jesus says that in this life, we will have trouble. Add to that this. Most of us are not taught or prepared for the concept of self-denial. Our culture of convenience, comfort, excess, binging, and do-what-you-feel is pretty anti-self-denial. And this is ironic because so many of us grew up in the church in Christian households, which just goes to show which culture wins down in our lives most of the time. Usually it's the worldly culture over the kingdom culture. And that's not a job, it's just an observation. We know that God, or we know that following Jesus leads us to a life of love, hope, joy, and peace. As we actively surrender to him and apprentice under him, we become transformed into people of love, hope, joy, and peace, because this is who Jesus was. But we also know that part of the journey sometimes, paradoxically, through the path of self-denial so how do we practice that and how do we stick with it long enough to find on the other side what's on the other side because let's be honest there's nothing about self-denial or taking up our cross that sounds joyful or fun now it just so happens that we are currently in our teaching and practice series on fasting throughout the series we're talking through four reasons for fasting they are to offer ourselves to god to grow in holiness to amplify our prayers, and to stand with the poor. Last week, we talked about fasting to offer ourselves to God. And if you're in our community groups, we set out to practice that this week. Today, we get into the second reason, fasting to grow in holiness. Another way to think of it is fasting to fight sin, temptation, and our addictions. If you'll remember, last week, we talked a lot about our bodies and how important they are to God and by extension, the role of our bodies in our uh, discipleship to Jesus. Remember, Paul tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, not just our minds or our hearts. Now, as a lot of us prepare to actually try fasting, I know there's been a lot of talk about the physical benefits, so we're actually going to start there today. Today's teaching will unfold in three parts. The body, holiness, starving the flesh to feed the spirit. First, the body. Obviously, when we fast, we feel hungry. Most of the time, I'm sure we all agree, feeling hungry is not a good feeling, not fun. And if you stay hungry long enough, most of us get hangry, not fun for those around us. So physically speaking, is there uh, any good that happens in our bodies when we fast? As it turns out, there's a lot of healthy physical benefits. This was all very fascinating to me because like most, I was preoccupied by the hungry part but our bodies actually go through three phases when we fast. For the first few hours uh, after we eat, our bodies get energy from the food that we eat. Duh. But after the 16-hour mark, the physiological change happens. Our bodies stop burning the glucose for energy and start to burn fat. This is good for us. Then, at the 24-hour mark, things start to get creepy. Cool. Our bodies enter a state called autophagy. This means uh, that it's actually eating itself in a way. Mm, kind of good, huh? Well, in this stage, our bodies actually begin to break down and get rid of old, dead, or damaged cells. Doctors actually call these zombie cells. So fasting helps us kill zombie cells. That's cool, right? Definitely a good thing. So take stock. When we practice fasting regularly, our bodies self-cleanse, our metabolism increases, we burn fat. It can also lower your heart, weight, or heart rate, blood pressure, and inflammation, and even a potentially slow aging and protect us from certain diseases That's a lot of health benefits, and that's all wonderful. But at the same time, to be clear, that's not why we're here, and that's not exactly why we as followers of Jesus practice fasting. Check out what Pope Benedict says about it. In our own day, fasting seems to have lost something of its spiritual meaning and has taken on, in a culture characterized by the search of material well-being, a therapeutic value for the care of one's body. Fasting certainly brings benefits to physical well-being, but for believers it is, In the first place, a therapy to heal all that prevents them from conformity to the will of God. It is about intention, about our posture and our ultimate aim. And our aim as people of God is to grow in holiness. And this takes us to point two, holiness. The Apostle Peter, who is one of Jesus' original disciples, reminds us, it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, holiness is a term and concept that could warrant the whole sermon series, but to put it simply, to be holy is to be set apart, specifically set apart for God's good and beautiful purposes. So to grow in holiness is to live more and more into that calling. We can also understand holiness as wholeness. Pastor and writer John Mark Homer puts it this way, what health is to the body, holiness is to the soul, your whole person. And in the same way that fasting is your body's way of purifying and purging your body's zombie cells that are killing you, so too fasting is your soul's way of purifying and purging your whole person of self-defeating cycles of sin and shame. We just had a whole series on shame. He goes on, fasting is a way to sanctify your soul, to set it apart as holy and dedicated to God for his purposes. Fasting is how we live into our calling. It's how we fight sin patterns, addictions, shame. It's how we grow in holiness. And for the past 2,000 years, Christians throughout history have attested to the power of fasting for these purposes. Saint Leo the Great, who was the Bishop of Rome in the fifth century, states, fasting gives strength against sin, represses evil desires, repels temptation, humbles pride, cools anger, and fosters all the inclinations of a good will, even unto the practice of every virtue. Or check out what Thomas A. Kempis of the medieval period says. Restrain from gluttony, and thou shalt more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. Pardon the old English, but basically the ancients drew a link between our stomachs and sin. It's no surprise that the first of the seven deadly sins is gluttony. They believe that our appetites link to our addictions and sin patterns. Think about it. We even have an appetite for, uh, we have an appetite for food but we also have an appetite for sex, pornography, violence, and if left to our own devices, we are capable of indulging in all of these things in excess. If you have an addictive personality, it's rarely, if ever, limited to just one thing. So our stomachs can be our enemy in the fight against sin, but they can also be our ally. Part three, starving the flesh to feed the spirit. Go ahead and turn your Bibles back to Romans chapter 7, I'll read from verses 15 again, and this is from the NIV. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of the sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is a super famous passage that captures the oh-so-repeatable tension around sin. What we want to do, we don't do. What we don't want to do, we do. And we all feel this tension. Now, last week, we brought up what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Meaning your body is literally a home, a dwelling place for God. But here in Romans, Paul refers to our bodies as a body of death. Talk about tension. So which is it? Are our bodies a temple for the Holy Spirit or a body of death? Well, it's both. To be human, a person is to be a body. We don't have a body, we are a body. According to Paul's theology, our bodies have a spirit, which is a part of us that is a home for God, a temple for the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we're also infected by a disease called sin. Paul refers to this part of our person as the flesh. The Greek word is sarx. If you're reading out of the ESV today, you'll see flesh in today's text, but other versions, like NIV, translate it as sinful nature. Comer writes, it is the instinctual drive in our body for things like food, sleep, self, uh, sex, self-preservation, and instant gratification that have, o- that have overpowered our will and bent our heart away from love, and turned it in on itself. But it's also more immaterial, uh, immaterial drives us too our desires for security and safety and affection and esteem and power and control, not all bad, but often disordered. He goes on to say, our fight is not against the body, it's for the body. Our fight is against the flesh. Friends, this is our fight, and this gets us back to where we started, the cross. Remember, as followers of Jesus, we are all called to take up our cross. Paul writes in Galatians, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. He writes uh, to the Colossians, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice how Paul doesn't say, Okay, everyone, try to temper or moderate or control your flesh. Keep it PG now, yeah? Paul doesn't use mild language. He says, Crucify! also known as nailed to the cross, put to death. These are extreme terms. This is how we are to treat the flesh. The question is, how? So a moment of vulnerability here. I have a problem swearing. This is Brooks, not me. But in a moment of anger and frustration, but my temper flares, it's really hard for me to control my tongue, and I'm working on it. And let me tell you what's really hard to do. It's really hard to just simply stop, like just willing myself to stop. For anyone who has struggled or is currently struggling with addiction, it is, ever, is it ever as simple as just stopping through sheer willpower? Have you ever just decided one day, I'm going to stop watching porn today and successfully end years of habituation and addiction? It's not so simple, right? Willpower might work when you're trying to resist a second scoop of ice cream or another day of boba, but not so much against addiction, anger issues, or other sin patterns. That's why they're patterns. Stopping is hard. But check out what Paul writes in the next chapter of Romans. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit... He put to death the deeds of the body. In other words, willpower isn't enough to fight the flesh. We need the power of the Spirit. Friends, we realize Jesus did all that He did—healing, casting out demons, teaching—by the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit is we're talking about here. And so, we as disciples of Jesus need to do the same thing He did, draw on the same power, the same Spirit. But now again. Out. As followers of Jesus, we make space for the Spirit to dwell in us, in our lives, in all that we do, through spiritual practices. These are, there, uh, these are things like prayer, like reading our Bibles, spending time with God in solitude. The point of these things is to make space for God to do in us what we can't do for ourselves, for Him to transform us. As it turns out, when it comes to fighting the flesh and battling sin, fasting is the weapon. Choice. The practice of fasting is how we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. Earlier, we talked about the physical benefits of fasting, what's actually happening in our bodies as we fast. But again, that's not really why we're here. And it's not why we, as followers of Jesus, fast. Now, when it comes to fasting in order order for us to fight sin and to grow in holiness, our goal, here, uh, here are some of the things that happen in us. First, fasting weans us off the psychol- what psychologists call the pleasure principle, which we can define in this statement. Do what feels good. But what feels good in the moment doesn't always mean it's good for us in the long run. Little kids live by this principle. Maturing, flourishing adults cannot. Fasting is how we begin to grow out of this. Fasting helps us to be okay when we don't get what we want. It helps us to do what is right, even when the right thing is hard to do. So there's a link between fasting and feeling uh, joy, even in difficult circumstances. There's a link between fasting and feeling peace, even in the midst of anxiety. Second, fasting reveals what's in our hearts. The first time I tried fasting, I realized how much I loved food. How much I even relied on it. I tend to uh, be a stress eater, so it revealed how distracted I am, how much I reach for my phone. It also revealed how much I struggle with self-control. Spiritual writer Richard Foster states, fasting reveals the things that control us. So in essence, fasting is essential (coughs) to self-diagnosis. If we're gonna fight sin, we need to know exactly what we struggle with. Third, fasting helps us to reorder our desires. As I mentioned last week, the more I practiced fasting, and again, this is a long race, gradual growth here, but the more I practiced fasting, the more I noticed my cravings for food would decrease. I didn't depend on it as much. The more I practiced fasting, the more I was able to step back, breathe, and calm down uh, in anxious or frustrating situations when when I would have usually reacted in anger. In other words, my desires were changing. Instead of being overly dependent on food, or you are filled in blank, whatever that might be, the more I grew content with simply knowing that I had God and that I just wanted more of it, the more contentment um, simply from knowing that the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Over time, I found that fasting does, in fact, open us up to be transformed by God, which leads to fourth. Fasting lets us draw on the power of God to overcome sin. The more we fast, the more we grow in self-control and self-discipline. The more we fast, the easier it is. Uh, it becomes to say no to what is unhealthy or sinful. The more we fast, the easier it is. Uh, it becomes to say yes to what is difficult, challenging, or uncomfortable. But what is healthy? When we fast, we feel hunger. We might feel weak. But through fasting, we basically practice bringing our weakness to God. Receiving his strength. When the devil came at Jesus in the desert, Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and so Satan probably assumed he'd be hungry. He Maybe hangry, probably weak, but Jesus was actually at his strongest here. We each struggle with our flesh and sin in different ways here. We all have different temptations, different addictions, different sin patterns. Most of us have, tr- have tried stopping through sheer willpower just hunkering down and trying really, really hard to will ourselves to be more Christ-like. Some of us struggle on while others give into our desires and to our flesh. Again, not a guilt trip, just an observation. But giving into our desires, living by the flesh, doing whatever we feel, is not freedom. It's just slavery dressed up to look like freedom because at the end of the day, we are enslaved to our cravings and sinful nature, slaves to our flesh. Slaves to things that bring hurt and harm to ourselves, but also others. Things that ultimately bring death. But the truth is, we don't have to be slaves. We don't have to live life constantly being defeated by sin and shame. We can overcome, just as Jesus overcame. We need to remember that we have access to the same power that Jesus had in the desert. And the great thing is that Jesus gives us a model and a pathway to open ourselves up to that to that power. Fasting is our pathway away from slavery towards freedom. Fasting is how we invoke God's power to fight sin. Our addictions and sin patterns are almost always too much for us to overcome on our own through sheer willpower. We try and fail, feel worse about ourselves, and then fall back into the same cycle. Fasting is our pathway out of that bondage. It doesn't mean that it's easy. Fasting is hard at first, but it does get easier and it helps that we are doing it together as a community. My hope and prayer is that you'll want freedom, that you'll desire it, and that your ache for freedom and your desire to have Jesus in you leading you to freedom will burn white hot. My hope and prayer is that you'll take a step towards freedom, a risky step of faith towards it through the practice of fasting. Let's stand in Heavenly Father, as we continue through this series in class, and we pray that you would walk aside us, walk along with us um, through these uh, unknown waters, through this um, new territory. Um, It's uh, definitely a new practice for many of us, Lord, and uh, I'm sure there's fear and trepidation and hesitation in our hearts, Lord, but um, as uh, in all things, we we follow your example, and you have given us one, and we know um, that your power... We'll be there, we'll manifest, um, give us strength where we don't have the Lord. Um, so we pray as we continue on um, uh, our journey, on our paths to be more and more like you, um, that you would um, send your spirit uh, and bolster us uh, in this room. Jesus' name pray.